What is going on, everybody? I am Greg Hellback, and my co-host, Michael Pinter, and I are bringing you another episode of the New York Real Estate Investing Show. This show is all about how to be successful in New York State, one of the best places and one of the most difficult places to do business in. And each and every week, Michael and I are going to bring awesome content to everybody who wants to learn how to do this business successfully in New York. Between the both of us, we have done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals. We've made millions of dollars and we've also made a ton of mistakes. So if you want to try your best to avoid those mistakes, definitely take a listen to this podcast. Every single week, we are going to provide actionable tactical steps on how you can be successful investing in the Empire State of New York. Stay tuned and welcome to the show. Mike Plachter, welcome to the show, my friend. Happy to have you. I love your background. If people are watching on YouTube, you got the, what do you have, a green screen or something like that in your house? No, it's, it's just uh, whatever the Zoom thing is. I set that up. Um, yeah, I don't have anything. I mean, I could I could take it off and you'll see my whole office and you know all the crap I have in my office. But how's it going? Thanks for having me on, Greg. I appreciate it. Listen, man, it's my honor. We got to connect uh, through social media originally. And then we had a couple phone calls. You hopped on a couple of our web trainings. And uh, yeah. it's been nice to know you, at least virtually for now. Uh, you're a fellow New Yorker. You live in Oyster Bay, right? Yeah, yeah I live that's in Oyster great, Bay. That's a great town, man. That's a great spot to live in. I, you know, I, yeah, I, I grew up around here. I grew up in Bayville, which is, you know, like maybe like 10 minutes away. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I like the area. I really like the, like the, you know, North Shore of Nassau County. It's yeah, not like, too. it's not like congested. Like everyone thinks Nassau County, it's like just really congested and just like tons of traffic. And it's, it is like that, you know, on the South Shore, but. And up here, I kind of like it on the North Shore. It's like a little quaint little town. Uh, you know, it's a small town, but, you know, I'm a small town guy, I guess. I remember Oyster Bay in one of my favorite movies, Meet the Parents. It's like they're in like Oyster Bay, even though they're probably in Hollywood. And uh, I was like, yeah, interesting. Yeah, Oyster Bay. That's where it was. Which they, I forgot what happened. They they say Oyster Bay, but I think they filmed it in like Garden City or something like that. Yeah, it was like, it wasn't, yeah, it was like, it was like pretend Oyster Bay. But I remember like the Oyster Bay drug stories on the phone with a guy speaking uh, Thai or whatever. That was, that's like literally <laughs> my all-time favorite movie. I've So I went to Singapore last month, low-key flex for the listeners. And, um, <laughs> and I, I watched Meet the Parents on the plane. The week before that, I watched Meet the Parents. And then the week before that, I watched Meet the Parents. I can watch that movie once a week and it's like i'll have my phone in the other room i won't get distracted this is such a good movie but anyway we didn't get on the show to talk about that we got on the show to talk about real estate and taxes two very sexy topics taxes being the most sexy topic so mike give everyone a little bit about your background and um you know what you do besides being a real estate entrepreneur yeah so uh mike Plachter, cpa um you know I, i'm an accountant i work at a mid-sized cpa firm uh, I also have clients uh, that are part of my own practice as well. And I'm also a full-time, you know, or let's just say a part-time investor uh, who's trying to aspire to be a full-time investor, just like yourself. Um, you know, you want me to get a little bit of how I got into uh, into the, you know, accounting and-, and Yeah, like, because I'll tell you what, I took accounting in college and I, I liked it, but it was relatively boring, at least for me, but it made sense and I got it, like the numbers, but like, what made you want to like, kind of go deep in that field and actually turn that into a profession? Yeah. So actually at, at the time, so when I was in college, um, I was actually a finance major. And wow. at the time it was my junior year, it was 2008 and the market was crashing um, really, really bad. And like, listen, you have to be a rocket scientist to, to see like, you know, you're not getting a job in finance when you graduate. Uh, <laughs> <That's insane. laughs> so I just, I was like, I better figure it out, man. 
So at the same time, though, coincidentally, I was taking my as a business major, you have to take all different, you know, marketing, accounting and all kinds of business courses. Yeah. Um, and I was taking the accounting one on one course and it was actually wasn't difficult to me, like all my lacrosse buddies, you know, all the guys that I'm across team are like, I, I don't understand it. This is so foreign to me. Um, and to me, it was like, really, really wasn't that bad. Um, so I knew there was something there. Also, my uncle was a CPA. So I'm like, all right, maybe I have a, uh, you know, I can get a job out of college. That was the big thing too. It was like, what am I going to do after college? So um, I knew I can probably get a job in accounting. And, you know, as I took the courses, I liked it more and more. And um, that just said, so fast forward to, you know, post uh, college, I got a job at a small local CPA firm. Um, and you know, the, the job market then was actually really rough. Like trying to find a job was like ridiculous. I, can imagine. Like, I would go to like, I'd go to like stop and shop and like local, you know, strip malls and like I'd apply everywhere. No one would, would like respond. And I'm a college graduate at that point. No one would get back to me, but I got lucky. Um, a local firm needed someone and they, they hired me. And, um, from there I noticed my first busy season doing all these tax returns. I noticed like all the wealthy clients, the one thing they all had in common was was k1s from real estate investments you know whether it was like a strip mall or they owned office buildings or single family rentals uh they all had something in common and now whether they you know built their wealth through real estate or they were wealthy through some other business and then reinvested it the one thing in common is that they all had wealth through real estate got it uh, so i didn't know you can really make money in real estate at the time you know there really wasn't uh real estate courses in my college or in high school so I'm like, all right, let me, uh, let me look into this. And, you know, I went down that rabbit hole, uh, YouTube university I spent, you know, I read all the books where it said, poor dad, I mean, you name, them, I probably read them and I just was hooked. I was like, this is so cool. I didn't know you can, you know, like I said, I didn't know you can make money buying houses and stuff like that. Like it just was so foreign to me at the time, but, uh, you know, I, so fast forward like years, cause I would spend years and years like procrastinating, like, oh, I want to do real estate. I can't wait to do it. And at this time you're an accountant though. So you're, you're still, you're, you get, end up becoming an accountant and then you're like in the corporate white collar world, basically. Yeah. So in those years I was studying for my CPA and, you know, I was busy in the corporate accounting world, so to speak. Uh, But also like had that bug where I really wanted to get into real estate. Yeah. And I don't know what it was. I think I was having like dinner with my wife's uncle and, you know, we have dinner all the time and like drink beers and like just talk about life. And he was like, listen, if you're serious about this thing, you know, my best friend, Ralph, uh, he's a real estate investor. This is what he does, like, on the side. Like, he has a business flipping houses and he buys rental properties. You know, have a dinner, have dinner with him. Let's talk about, you know, everything. So we, we sat down one day and he's like, if you're serious about this, come to the local RIA, uh, meet Carl Chabon. He's the head of the RIA. And it's just have a conversation with him and, you know, have a call with him and see, you know, what you want to do with this thing. Um and I was at the time I wanted to do like mobile home parks. I, don't know, I was like all over the place. You know? Not many on Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, but but yeah, so, you know, I sat with my my now is my coach, but at the time he wasn't. And he kind of explained how because I didn't think you could do rentals on Long Island. Like that was one mm. thing that was just like, you can't do any rentals here. The numbers don't make sense. And he sat down and explained to me like that you can. And there's certain markets where the purchase prices are lower. The taxes are lower. And uh, ultimately, you know, I do the Section 8 model, which is what something that he, you know, sort of, uh, you know, invests and teaches. So uh, the numbers, I analyzed a lot of deals and, and the numbers made sense to me. And I, you know, I figured it's probably smarter just to invest in your backyard 
than it is to go out of state and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like what led me there. Uh, I, I tended a bunch of RIAs for a bunch of years and then COVID hit. Uh, and it just, it gave me an opportunity because I was working now at home and I got really serious about this thing. And I'm like, listen, this is it. Like, this is my big opportunity. And, you know, I just stopped with the, you know, the procrastinating and all that stuff and, and got serious with the business. And it was a good opportunity for me. Cause like I said, working from home, being able to hop on calls in and out of calls all day, it, it's not a bad thing. Now, working in a cubicle, that can be tough, you know, with your boss over your shoulder and uh, some realtor wants to know yes or no within an hour if you're going to buy the deal. So, you know, it's not Yeah, it doesn't really add up. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a good opportunity, I guess, uh, you know, to grow and build my business and, you know, build relationships with a lot of people, realtors and other investors and stuff like that. Uh, and then I guess background. fast forward. Yeah, I guess it's fast forward, uh, you know, COVID to two years later of just, you know, lots of work. And I got my first rental property and everything is smooth right now. Everything's doing good. So you ended up figuring out a way to buy real estate on Long Island without, because I'll tell you, Nassau County is tough. Like the taxes are ridiculous. Suffolk mostly is pretty shot, at least like, you know, nice Suffolk. You go out east, it's yeah. much better. Obviously, you know that. So where did you buy that yeah. first property? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Like, I don't think I am under the impression it's very difficult or I don't even think it's possible really to get rentals in Nassau County, unless it's maybe a multifamily. Yeah. Uh, just because of like, just look at the the P&L of a, of a rental property. Your business, big ex expense on Long Island is real estate taxes. So you need to be in places that have cheaper or lower real estate taxes. So Nassau, you know, as you know, has stooped. I'm paying, I actually have a really good deal in my personal residence. I'm only paying like 10 grand. But imagine having a rental property that had like, you know, a lot of the, it's common to pay 10, 12, 15, $20,000 on a single family rental on Long Island in Nassau County. So I don't even consider Nassau for rentals. Um, I look out east in the the Bellport. So my rental is in Bellport. Uh, I look in the Bellport, Patchogue, Mastic, Shirley, um, Corum, like that little. What about like West Islip or whatever, or East Islip? You, is that all right for rental? Um, oh, it's expensive. The prices, the prices are still high. I think like at some point, places like Wyandanch, Brentwood, Central Islip, those were also rental markets. But, you know, as you know, the, since COVID, the valuations have gotten like ridiculous and it's really yeah. hard to get, you know, property under 300,000 know, in those neighborhoods. So, you know, if you, you got to be under 300, even in the low twos to get, you know, rental properties. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. So it's a similar in my area. I mean, I'm from the Hudson Valley. That's where we do most of our business. And it's it's similar to Long Island where you got really expensive values and you got high taxes. Like, you know, if you're in Westchester, basically the same thing as Nassau. It's like 25 miles from Nassau, right? You just go through New York City, but you're looking at 15, 20, 25 yeah. a year in taxes, right? Like good, good luck. Even Orange County, like my parents' house, their taxes are probably 10 grand and it's not even that big of a house, right? So uh, I found that at least in New York state, you know, we might actually air this. I, I'm actually going to air this on both of our podcasts because you are a New York guy and it saves me some work. Uh, I think Pinter's on a holiday right now. So we're getting, the, getting the work done with him, uh, passively, uh, passive income from Mike Pinter. But, um, <laughs> the thing in New York is the property taxes and I'll give you some context here. So we also invest in the state of Delaware, which is was that two states below New York, basically like below New Jersey? Yeah, yeah right below and Jersey. Yeah. Literally, I was looking at a property. We we're wholesaling two houses right now there. And the property taxes on most of these homes, especially in like Kent County, which is the second county into Delaware, I'm talking 988 bucks a year, 1500 bucks a year. 
like like crazy low. However, the rents are not nearly as high down there. Like I looked yeah. at, I fixed and flipped the house there, and I was like thinking doomsday. What if I don't sell this? What am I going to rent it for? And I was like, oh, right, only get sixteen hundred a month for this. I'm like, if this thing was in Nassau, <laughs> this would be like four grand a month easily. If it was in San Diego, it'd be like ten. I'm just kidding. It'd be like five. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, New York, you got to just, like you said, you got to be in neighborhoods or zip codes, really, or town, city, whatever, cities, submarkets that allow you to do that. So in my area, you know, Middletown, you can still do it. Newburgh, I got properties in Newburgh. I got them in Middletown. Yeah. I got one in Monroe, but that's a condo. That's high tax area. I got one in Chester, same kind of thing, townhouse. You got to know your submarkets, right? And you're buying, and like Bellport, I don't really know much about Bellport, but I wouldn't imagine, is this a safe city to walk around at two in the morning? Or is this kind of like a little bit more of a... Ugh, area yeah it's a it's not it's not the safest city like that's kind of where you're buying them is, is not you know the, the you know greatest areas however you know people who i i know that live out there and talk to me about this stuff they're like 10 years ago i wouldn't step foot in this town you know like really bad and they cleaned it up you know considerably from what i hear um now you know that that's safe enough you know for me to invest in i i think but uh yeah i mean they're not they're not like you know two in the morning walking around the street i would say they're, they're like work, like you know uh what would i call it workforce housing kind of towns you know you yeah, know up and coming neighborhoods that kind yes. of stuff. not war zone you're not investing in like like we do stuff in war zones sometimes that will wholesale like i got a one in north philly right now i wouldn't go to that property if you paid me right now wouldn't go there if you paid. it's <laughs> it's it's shot right but but that's that's the ghetto that's like the real ghetto um newburgh well, is that's why my that's why my taxes are 35, I think now 3,600 bucks a year. You In know, Bellport. That, yeah. That, oh, I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. I mean, it's phenomenal. I got it. I got it in the low twos. Uh, I didn't put a lot of money into it. And, you know, you got to get them cheap and you got to get them with low taxes. And in those neighborhoods, you can do that. You can find pockets. You can find deals. There's always a deal. Um, and then yeah. from there, I mean, yeah, I could tell you what you know, the P&L looks like. I'm yeah, what does it look like? What are the numbers look like? Let's walk through like a New York rental property because because really this is something that that both listeners, I mean, we get a lot of New York people on the Real Estate Fast Track podcast too. Like, you know, people want to know the numbers on these things and you're an accountant. So I got the best guy in the world to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So, uh, so I, I'm getting 2,700 from, from Section 8. Uh, well, yeah, I think like, I think it's uh, 150 comes from the tenant. Yeah. Uh, the rest of it is Section 8. Okay. Um, now, at the time, between the time I got the rental was in April and now the rents have gotten crazy, uh, particularly with Section 8. They've, got, they've gone up 20%. Uh, so right now I can get 3200 for that same rental property. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm actually going to renewal uh, in April. I'm going to bump it to like, I'm going to ask 34 and to see where they see where they kind of negotiate with me yeah. and get the most I can for this thing. Because right now, you know, I can get an extra 500, you know, in six months from now. So that's what I'm gonna do. So all right, so I'm getting renting it for 2700 Now my mortgage payment, that's with taxes, insurance, the principal and interest, is $1775. So, and at the time it's funny because when I went into contract, the rates were like three and a quarter for me, three and a half maybe. And they bumped it, they were going crazy through the renovations. And by the time I refinanced, I'm locked in, I got locked in at five percent. So uh even now it's at seven, but you know, anyway, so uh so I'm making like 925 bucks a month uh, just from that rental. And listen, now, now there's obviously capital expenditures you got to factor in. Yeah. There could be, there could be a repair one month. Yeah. Uh, I've had, I've had a couple of repairs that popped up. So, you know, a couple hundred bucks here and there, 
that maybe you know your cash flow goes from nine twenty five down to you know six twenty five or you know whatever it is. Yeah, you know, so uh, it, you know, and that's really it. You got a little, I factor in a little bit for vacancy, but I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the great thing about Section Eight is, you know, the average stay of a of a Section Eight t- uh, tenant is eleven point two years. Uh, and I heard this from people that have been tracking this stuff for you know 20, 30 years. And the, you know, where the average stay of a cash rental is two to three years. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's a big cost turnover that people don't like to talk about. You know, that's a big factor in your cash flows when, you know, you're doing a cash rental. Yeah, you made all this money for two years. You know, then then they leave. You got to redo the floors because their dog scratched it up or whatever. And they, they have high heels or whatever. And there's like holes in the wall and you got to repaint it. And now all that money you made for two years is gone. You know, whereas in a Section 8 rental, I don't have to turn that thing over, generally speaking, for a, another 11 or 10 years or something like that. So that's, that's a, a no thing that no one talks brainer. about. That's a yeah, no, no brainer. one talks about that. It, it's huge. Oh, my goodness. I have a it's interesting. You're talking Section 8. I have a wholesale deal. I'm selling this guy in Port Jervis, which is like kind of a junky area. <laughs> i've heard of it yeah it's like kind of like the redneck riviera out there <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> like your cousins are your wife i'm just kidding someone listening to portraits they're gonna come they're gonna come crucify me but if you're listening you know that's the truth but whatever um so i'm wholesaling the section eight house to this guy because it's just it's like the tenants just that if the tenant's listening she knows she's a psycho you know you're a psycho tenant anyway she's nuts absolutely nuts and um the numbers at section eight are phenomenal 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 but i just yeah. don't want to deal with this lady because she's a wing bat but i mean she's paying like i don't know 27 bucks a month or something and then section eight's paying the balance wow. so wow. this guy's like yeah this guy's gonna get a good deal but um listen and that's here's another benefit to section eight that if you're in new york or delaware or california or philadelphia somewhere where the landlord laws suck uh you, you, if the tenant doesn't pay rent, you're not going to get smoked, right? You're, the, the government yeah. is paying you the money versus the tenant saying, oh, yeah, I can't make rent this month. My car broke down. Well, yep. <laughs> it's a cash tenant. There's not much you can do. You got to file eviction and get them out in right. you know six months, right? That that was the um, – so like that's, that's like a, a really good nugget that you just dropped there because a lot of people – I talked to like my friends, investors. They're like, dude, I'll never buy rentals. New York sucks. I, I'm going to do it out of state. And I'm like, listen – you really can't just say like generalized things like that because people do. They go, you, you can't do rentals in New York. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Because first off, every jurisdiction is different with evictions. Uh, so you can't just say New York sucks. Uh, but second off, get, touching on that point, um, touching on that point, like if you have Section 8, you don't have to worry about a, an eviction. You shouldn't have to worry about an eviction. Obviously, there's there's some bad Section 8 tenants. But if you screened them right coming in, you know, you shouldn't have to worry about having a tenant not paying you because what are they not going to pay you 200 bucks or hundred bucks a month? And then they're going to risk losing their voucher for free housing or very low housing. Like it's the stupidest thing in the world. So um, they're always going to pay. They always do pay on time even before the rents do. And um, the, and the rest, the rest of it's paid by the government. So honestly, that's a, a big nugget that you dropped there because uh, it kind of evades that whole, you can't invest in Long, uh, not Long Island, but you know New York in general, right? Yeah, because... Jersey, New York, the Connecticut. It's all the same shit. I mean, Pennsylvania is a little yeah. bit better, except for Philly. But um, so, how did you find your Section Eight tenant? Did you go to GoSectionEight.com and advertise it, or did you like? How did you find? Because obviously, screening tenants. I mean, that's that's a process within its own. Yeah. So um, I have a really good rental agent, Carrie uh, Gottlieb. If you guys, if anyone in Long Island is looking for a just a rock star agent. Uh, she, she's great at screening tenants. So I kind of relied on her to do a lot of that. Um, 
she took the calls. Oh, she posted it. She posted the listing, took the calls, showed the property. And she has like the street smart, you know, where she can kind of like, you know, hey, you know, yes, no, you know, gives me like the nod, you know, uh, and we we found a, a really great tenant uh, who has a who has a full time job. And, and that's another thing you want someone who's working. Uh, Huge. Because- that's a big nugget. People got to rewind what you just said, because the trouble lies when they're at the house all day. Yes, yes. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> So if they're like, oh yeah, they don't pay anything. The government pays me everything. It's like, sure, that's great. But their home, I don't want to say destroying your property, but their OP use, just the use, the use destroying of like always, you know, like the wear and tear is great. Yeah, yeah, they're beating it up and, for eight hours versus being in the office for yeah, eight hours. 100%. So it's like, you know, that's a big one. You want them working um, and they have a full-time job. And, you know, obviously I don't, I don't discriminate. Like I'm not going to say you can't, rent unless you're working but i'm saying it is a big factor um and this this tenant is great she we screened a great tenant and she works and her portion isn't isn't a lot um and and listen we, we took she was in a bad position like when she needed the housing she was like living in a in a woman's shelter i believe i think it was a woman's shelter and you know so she's really grateful to be provided with you know shelter housing versus you know in a great you know newly renovated three-bedroom ranch Yeah, for sure. No, that's a great point too. And like, this is something that I've, you know, when I was a immature landlord, to say the least, you know, a couple of years ago, I was like kind of a macho man, kind of jerk, to be completely blunt here, man. Like I was like, I remember I bought my first rental, probably did at the time, maybe 70 deals or 65 deals at that point. So I was like, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I'm this real estate guy. I knock on my tenant's door. I have the deed in my hand. I think I'm like, as they would say, big dick Rick. And I'm like, hey, I just bought the property. I like literally walk in the house. I'm dude, I'm 20, I don't know, 25 at the time. So I'm like super young. These people have been living there forever. The landlord didn't tell them that that she sold the property. So they got totally bait and switched. I bought it sight unseen. Oh, damn. I sit down with these people and I'm like, macho man. Like, I'm like, yeah, this is my property. You guys are living here. Like, I, I want you guys to stay. And I was a total dick face to be honest. Super unprofessional. <laughs> like just being real with you, bro. And now my relationship with tenants, unless I'm doing an eviction and they're giving me resistance. So I will have a caveat to that. I am very cool. Like I'm not like a pushover landlord. I'm a very respectable landlord. I'm very reasonable. Yeah. I don't budge, but I very I have empathy and I treat them like humans, right? Unless they don't treat me like a human, I will then get an attorney involved. And I'm very like strict with that. Like I don't get involved personally. The attorney handles it. I've had to do that a few times. But besides that, I'm very professional with them. I'm grateful that they're my customer, truly. Uh, I'm grateful that they have a house that I have provided them and hopefully they're happy with. And if there's any reasonable request that needs to get made in order to improve the property, I will get that done immediately. No negotiating, unless it's bullshit. If they're calling me over something stupid that because they're busting my chops, we have a conversation. But for the most part, I'm like, listen, yes, this is impacting your safety. Yes, this is impacting your health. Um, yes, I'm very easy to fix the property, but the nugget I'm trying to say to people is you got to treat your tenants with respect and you got to understand they are people too. You can't just be like this big macho man landlord. Like I was when I only had one property too. So I was a jerk, but like, you got to be really reasonable with your tenants. Cause at the end of the day too, yeah, in New York, if you have a problem with your tenants, like they're not going to go away overnight. Like it's expensive. It takes time and you really need to understand the process. So you got to be like. You know, very reasonable with these people. Yeah, no, like two things there. Like first, like if if you just come in hot, like they could just hunker down. They don't. They don't. They're not oh, out 30 days. I know that, bro. 
this isn't Texas where they're out in 30 days. Like this is, you know, they can, if they know if they're smart and savvy, they can really push this thing. So you got to really, <laughs> you don't want them hunkering down and, and doing any, playing any games. However, uh, the one thing I realized pretty early on is this is like a, this is a people's business. You know, yes. obviously you want to build relationships with people that are, you know, you're working with and people that are bringing you deals. But even when you're uh, with, with tenants, like you always want to do right by people uh, just because like, you know, you just don't want to be in a position to, to where you're a jerk. And I I've seen it. I've seen people that are, that are jerks and, yeah. you know, I don't know. I don't know how they get away with some stuff to be honest with you, but I mean, it, it's not good. You don't want to be a jerk because they can, they can hurt you too. You know, those tenants can, like you said, hunker down and, and really cause some pain. No, they definitely can. And, and I'll give you an example on this. There's a tenant that I have in Newburgh. His name is Will. Nice guy. And I've never met Will. I've never seen his property. Like I'm a complete, like, out of the picture for the most part. He sends me rent every, every month, thankfully, knock on wood. And um, so I'll give you the backstory on this. So this lady sold me this condo for an absolute song and a dance and sight unseen, like straight up, like no looking at it, like just done deal. Will was paying like eight fifty a month or something like that, which is like insanely below market, like, like unreasonable yeah. low market rent. Right. And this is a yeah. one bed condo yeah. in Newburgh, decent little area, but not the best area. And I reach out to Will. And I said, listen, Will, uh, and I generally don't tell them I'm the owner, but this time I kind of broke the rules because I was like, I, I, you know what? I might as well just show my cards. Here's the deal, Will. I know you, and the property is pretty beat up, but like it was, he's been living there forever. And like, he kind of made it that way, to be honest with you. Like the landlord was, was just kind of like, you know, letting him do his thing. So he was paying, she was paying the utilities. He was like paying her back. So that's the first thing that we slashed. Second thing was he knew his rent was completely unreasonable. And I said, listen, well, I'd love to keep you in this, in this home right now. Cause I know you've been living there and you told me the last thing you want to do is move. I get it, man. I totally get it. But you know, and I know that you're not paying a reasonable rent. And he's like, right. he agreed with me. So we signed a brand new lease at 1100 a month, which is still a little bit below market rent. I could probably get 13 for that thing right now. Mm-hmm. But I said, listen, if you stay here and you're happy here and you're cool with everything inside this property, I'm going to give you no trouble. I'm going to be professional. I'm going to be responsive if you need me. And I'm going to make this an easy transition for you. And as of now, we have a very good relationship. He, if he's late for a day or something, I don't bang him over the head with a late fee. I'm like, that's right. fine. Get, he's a cab driver, super nice guy, hard worker. I respect him. Hopefully he respects me. I think he does. And we have a very reasonable working relationship. So you got to treat your tenants like people because they are people. They are going through their own crap, yep. right? You can't just be like, I'm the landlord, I'm the rich guy. Like, screw you, poor tenant. That is not how you treat people at all. You got to be professional and and, and stern with them too. Like you can't, you don't want to like, like if he didn't pay his rent for a couple of weeks, I would say, hey, listen, well, like let's work this out. But I'm not just going to like bang with a late fee if he's 12 hours late. Like that's insane. And some landlords yeah. do that. Like, well, it's a company policy. It's like, well, you made the policy, asshole, you know? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, no, I, I- I agree hundred percent. Like, yeah, you're dealing with people and you know, the thing, the thing there is that, you know, you got it at a good deal. You got a good discount. So you don't even need to like bump it that, that much. No. You know, you could say, I own it in cash too. Like, I'm like, I don't even, I don't have no mortgage. So I'm just like, whatever, like it's all cash flow, you know? Yeah, no, hundred percent. And like, you know, how much more are you going to raise it? And then and the guy's going to move and then you have repairs. Yeah, you got to turn it over, right? You got to renovate it. It's yeah. like, well, I don't want to do that either, you know? Yeah, it's like it's like it's better that way. I mean, yeah, he was under, and they know they're underpaid too. They know eight fifty is not the market. And maybe yeah. it was fifteen years ago, you know. Well, that's the truth. That was the case. Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now it's like 1400 probably. <laughs> well, the thing is, I always tell tenants too, like if I'm raising the rent, I'm like, listen, go take a look out, see what else is out there. If you find something, I'll help you move out. I'll give you a couple beans to get out of here. But if you don't find anything that, that is, you know, reasonable, let me know. I can give you a reasonable rent increase and it'll still be a better deal than what you're going to find on the market. And they call me, they say, cause I manage the properties myself. And I'm like, they're like, Greg, yeah, we couldn't find anything. I said, all right, cool. Let's, let's make a deal. You know, yeah. and we make some, and I don't just jerk them like right in the face with like a huge increase. I'm like, okay, I'll give you a reasonable rent bump so you can kind of see how it goes. And then in a year we'll talk, I'm going to raise, I, and I listen, I still will raise the rent every year too. I raise the rent a little bit every year because yeah. at the end of the day, a lot of the properties that I buy that I flip or wholesale, it's because the silly landlord never raised the rent on the tenant and they're too afraid to do it now. And they've kicked the can down the road for 10 years. And now like, yeah, I see it all the time. Oh, it's horrible, dude. I analyze deals all the time. And I'm like, Oh, the tenants are great. They've been paying all this time. Yeah. Yeah. What's the rent? <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. The rent's a little low. It, you know, yeah, it's, uh, The rent's a little low. <laughs> <laughs> can you say a little low? Can you share with me the number? They're like, yeah, it's 1400. I'm like, on Zillow, it's like rent estimate $2,750. i am like, I know why you called me, you know? That, yeah, you see it all the time. And, and, you know, I'll something like that is a great example. I'll buy it or I want to buy it because obviously the market's crazy. But I'll put an offer where it makes sense. I'm going to either cash flow or very little little cash flow at that number. Because I'm not going to buy it. And then what? It's not going to cash flow. You're going to evict the person. And then, and then it'll and cash flow. Like why? You know, you always want to protect yourself and get it cheap enough where... The deal makes sense in its most conservative use, um, and that is at the current rents. And if they don't pay you, hopefully you got it cheap enough where you can evict them and get and still have a smoking deal. That's the key. And another thing too with evictions is I've been through those. Uh, I always like to start in New York with a reasonable cash for keys offer before an attorney even gets a phone yeah. call. I say, listen, here's how it's going to go down. You want to leave, or you don't want to pay, whatever the case is. You, we're, we're, you're ending your 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 residency at this place to say it in the most professional manner. Um, here's how it's going to go down. I can give you some money to move out to the next place, and you can be out by this day. I actually just did this with a tenant last week, and if you accept this offer, we're going to put it in writing, and I'm going to hold you accountable to performing, and you're going to hold me accountable to performing. So I actually just did this. This was like a total gamble, bro. We have, I have so many fucking examples. I love talking about this stuff. So, <laughs> bro, this property, it's a it's a package of three units. One is a single family. Nice. And the other one is like a shit. I, I, I have never seen these, but like there, one is apparently like an outhouse in the back. Shit box, like real bad. <laughs> and then the other one is like a real shit box, like total disaster. I'm actually going to see him next week when I'm back. But um, anyway, nice. so she's like, I don't want to deal with my tenants. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll call your tenants. I'll make them an offer to leave and we'll go from there. So this poor lady, you know, this, this landlord that I'm dealing with is and honestly not the best landlord. She probably knows that if she's listening. And I said, listen, I'll deal with your tenants and I'll get them to sign these agreements and I'll give them my own cash if they leave. So this one lady, nice. she, I called her out of the blue. She's been living here forever. I said, listen, um, your owner is selling me the property. Uh, I'm going to need these properties vacant. And I, I wish I could keep you. I just can't. We just can't keep you. And she's paying like that. Yeah. I said, here's the deal. I normally don't do this, but I'll give you like 500 bucks if you just roll, if you roll out of here. And I'll give you a reasonable timeline. I'm not going to bang you over the head. I'm going to be very, very reasonable. So she took a leap of yeah. faith, signed the agreement. 
And I sent her 500 bucks and, 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 you know, she took a gamble on me and I took a gamble on her and she sent me the pictures and it was vacant. So if, if you can go okay. approach a tenant in a manner like that and make a reasonable deal with them, I'm telling you right now, it, it is just so much better than getting an eviction. I just paid my last eviction attorney bill again for like a thousand bucks and they just keep billing me. Right. And it's like, you don't <laughs> want to evict people. I'll tell you the truth. I mean, it's, it's a nightmare. Complete nightmare. Oh, it's 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 ten grand minimum of just attorney fees, oh, yeah. and court fees, and stuff. Oh yeah, and sheriff fees and, and adjournments. Nassau, yeah, there's still a storage unit. It's a complete. Design. Oh, the rules in Nassau are so stupid. But yeah, yeah like I I have a buddy who did a cash for key. He got screwed. He he had a cash for keys deal, paid the lady to leave. She left. Right. He goes in the backyard to like get the you know the um, the plywood to like board up the the windows. So no one can get yeah, in. Yeah. Lock it As out. he gets to. The, he hears some noise. He goes to the front. He looks, and uh, there's someone's feet sticking out the kitchen window. <laughs> so he, he goes into the house. He's like, what the hell are you doing? This is my house. He goes, no, 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 no. I live here now. It's the daughter. It's like the, the lady's daughter. Oh, no so way. She, so, she, so she's like claiming residency, all this shit. He made a mistake. He called the cops, and the cops are like, listen, my hands are tied. Oh, dude, that's the worst. <laughs> so... Uh, so he ended up actually the eviction wasn't so bad. He actually got her out in reasonable, like like a month or two, which is like New York is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but, it, you know, a little nugget he told me was like when he was doing this, um, I guess when he's doing the cash for keys, what you're supposed to do is have a cop there. Like you want the cop to see the, the transaction and, or or at least see that it was um, vacant. You know, like, hey, this is my tenant. She's leaving. It's all vacant. You know, OK, see you later, you know, policeman. And then if something like that ever happens, you say, listen, I just, here's the guy's badge number. Here's the report. Um, it, it was vacant two days ago. And now this guy's claiming he lives there. Like, what are you talking about? So like, that's a little way to, to, to not go throughout the, the court process. Because once the, the the cop goes, this is a civil matter. I can't deal with this. You're screwed. You're going through the courts. It's going to take done. forever. But if you can get the cops to so, sort of say like, all right, yeah, this is vacant. Yes, this guy's clearly taking advantage. You got to go. And they'll get him out for you right there. Hundred percent. No, that's a straight nugget because if you have documentation, it's so much easier. I had a tenant one time. I got a lot of these. It's funny, this is like a whole slew of stuff. But I had this lady. I actually got her to sign on the spot. I did a cash for keys like in one day. Can I, can I tell you a quick? You have time for a quick story? This is a really. Yeah, good, dude, I, I say this all, all night. All right, this is really good. So, oh my god. So wholesaling this house uh, in New Windsor, great area, and the tenants or it wasn't even a tenant thing basically like it was an inherited property and like it was a mess and like they let their nephew stay there and his mom it was his mom's house and it was this whole disaster the house it was actually a condo it was comp this thing was disgusting this property it was i could barely walk around this thing i was like this like it was so bad so so we're Your supposed feet are to stick into the floor oh it was horrible you have cats everywhere there's shiitake everywhere bro this thing's a disaster so i'm inside this thing and i'm like all right, let's let we, we had the closing schedule and now I'm back in California. So I met the property. Now I'm back out on the West coast. I get a call from the buyer. Uh, Hey, we're not closing right now. Um, there's pandemonium going on inside the premises. And I'm like pandemonium. Like the, they were supposed to leave. Like this was the whole plan. So it turns out the, uh, the, the people living in the property who technically were the sellers, well, they didn't get any money. Cause like there was a huge lien on the, it was just, this thing was a mess, but, but basically they needed to sell. They were supposed to move literally across like the hall or next door or something to like this other lady's yeah. unit. And she was going to like, let them stay there for free. Cause they're just kind of like random people. So yeah. 
the, the other lady's son caught wind that these people were going to be moving into the property. And he went bananas and said, you're not living here. Not a shot. They freaked out. The two guys had a hotel. Then there's this other lady living uh, with them. They were like, you're not coming with us. So then she takes all of her shit, throws it out of the unit. There's like, they're in the hallway now in like this, this condo complex. And like, she's screaming. She's like holding her cat. The cops show up. Whole thing's going on. It stalls out the deal. Now I'm really pissed. And I was flying back to New York for, uh, for the holidays. So I'm like, I'm going to handle this myself in the flesh. So I took my dad over there with me, um, like a couple days later. I knock on her door. By the way, there's no lock on this thing. The door opens wide up. She like she's in like a bathrobe. She's like looking at me and I'm looking at her and I'm like, hello. Like, and my dad is like an ex-cop and he's pretty like, you know, he's like not a pansy, but he was like, even like, he was like, whoa. So I walk in the property and I'm like sitting there and it's like a 20 something thousand dollar deal. It's like a big deal. You know, I wanted, I wanted to get paid. And I'm like looking at the, like the property, just kind of like looking around and it's like looking at all the filth. And I'm like, I look right at the lady and I say, do you really want to live here? And I said, it's just like that. And at that tone. And she's like, no, I don't. I hate it here. I'm like, how come you're here? And she's like, I got nowhere else to go. Bingo. We got the problem. So I said, listen, I said, I don't know if I can do this, Mrs. Squatter. If I can get you out of this property today, get you a storage unit, get you a hotel room and get all of this crap out of the property today, would you take action? Because I'm going to make some calls. And I didn't know if it was going to work because I obviously had things out of my control. Yeah. Said, I would do it today. I said, good. I call a moving company, schedule them two hours later. I called a hotel room. I said, do you take cash? She, they said, yes, we do. I said, do you take pets? They said, yes, we do. I said, yeah, I got a new customer for you. And then I said, <laughs> um, what was the last thing I had to do? Oh, I had to make sure that um, uh, the per- she was going to vacate. So I got all the shit lined up. Oh, and then right. so a mover and a motel base. So that was the two things. Oh, okay. and a storage unit. Sorry, and a storage unit because you had all this shit. Yeah. There's no way you're taking this to a hotel. So storage unit had availability down the road. Uh, moving company was on their way in two hours, and the hotel was be- eager for new customers to say the least. Got her. Wow. I personally moved her out in like literally six hours. Did the whole freaking thing. Helped the movers. Wow. Did all this shit. Paid for all of it. And I said, here's the deal you're forfeiting your right to stay in this property and you cannot come back under any circumstances. So I actually filmed her on my phone, reading the document we signed. I said, what's your name and what are you doing? And what did you sign? And I got her on the record. So in the event that she were to break back in, like you just said, yeah, smoked. So you got to wow. make sure you do this to the T because if you screw something up and they like, they come back in the property, you're done. Yeah. That's, that's awesome, man. And like, like, what would just you know you spent a few grand maybe four or five grand not even uh, to make no, 20 was, to make 20 i mean it was, it was maybe a thousand bucks dude because like the, i i literally <laughs> gave her a wad of cash i said here's a here's a lump of cash i said i'm not putting my name on this hotel bill pay in cash take the cats and have a nice day hasta la vista merry christmas <laughs> she got out of there anyway wow, i want to transition into the last segment of the show before we wrap up and it's really all about taxes because you're an accountant so can you talk to the listeners about what is a cost segregation? Because this is something a lot of real estate investors like myself and other people do to drive down our tax bills every year, because uh, it's a yeah. pretty cool thing that the government allows you to do. Yeah. So, so a cost segregation study is, um, you know, you hire one of these firms that, that specialize in this service. And what they do is they, they analyze your property uh, and they're able to, um, let's just like, you know, take the compartments of each, uh, component of the building or, or, you know, uh, the building or the home 
and they're able to classify it as different types of property, right? So you know, they're going to take the windows, they're going to take the doors, the kitchen cabinets, uh, the flooring, everything. They're going to itemize it onto um, you know whatever you purchased it for, and they're going to you know give you an itemized, uh, you know, detailed uh, report on what each um, you know of that purchase price, right? And what you could do with that is that each a lot of different components have different depreciation lives. Uh, which can accelerate depreciation upfront uh, and get you huge deductions in the first you know few years of owning a property, uh, as opposed to just buying the rental property. For example, you buy a single family house, you know you divide it up between land and building, and then you de you depreciate it over twenty seven and a half years. That's generally what people do, yeah. right? By taking the cost segregation study, you know you might take um, you know maybe twenty percent of that. They're going to say is five year property. Maybe ten percent of its seven-year property, uh, and and those types of property is subject to bonus depreciation, right? So not only are you get to you know you, you're thinking all right five year I get to get it over five years so accelerated, it's better than that because bonus depreciation is one hundred percent. So you, you know you buy a two hundred thousand dollar property, twenty percent of that, um, you know let's let's just say is is either five or seven year, that. Bonus appreciation at forty thousand dollars is a tax deduction year one of owning that property. Wow, you can write that uh, off against your income. Yeah, now I made up the twenty percent, you know, obviously because I don't have a cost segregation in front of me. But that's I've seen that. Like that's literally, um, you know, what they do is they accelerate depreciation, uh, and the IRS accepts it too. You know, it's a legitimate practice that is done uh, all throughout. You know, um, a lot of real estate professionals. Now, here's the catch. If you're just like a, an investor, like if you have a day job like me um, and, you know, you're doing this and you think you're going to get a cost seg and it's going to save you taxes, it's not because now that tax or, or that, um, excuse me, uh, you know, you are, you are considered a passive investor. That is passive income. So the passive income is you, you don't get to deduct passive losses against your ordinary income, against your W-2 income. That's not, you can't do that. So it doesn't benefit everyone. It only benefits people that are real estate professionals like you. Um, or people that are doing like owning like hotels and stuff like that, or having like operational businesses where they're able to take those losses and truly net it against other types of income, whether it's capital gains, whether it's, uh, you know, dividends and interest or ordinary income like W-2, you can offset your losses uh, by using a cost segregation study to uh, reduce your 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 income and all your taxes. So basically, let's say someone nets 300 grand a year and they're a real estate professional and they do yeah. a cost seg on a two family house and the cost seg says, okay, based on what we saw here, you can deduct $50,000 up front. That $50,000 yeah. write off would then go against the 300, which would really take, make your tax liability 250 in that case. Right. Yeah. If you're making 300, like flipping and wholesaling and stuff like that. And yeah. that's, that's ordinary income, you know? So that, that type of income, um, depending on whether you're an S corp or not, you got you might have to pay self employment taxes on, right? But if you're an S corp, that's a separate that's a separate category. Oh, either I, way, I, you still got time ago. Yeah, I have, I pay myself a W two, and then I because I don't want that self employment tax yep. is crazy. Fuck that. Yeah, dude, you made so yeah. In that example, you made three hundred k, but you paid fifteen point three percent of it to self employment taxes, and then you pay income taxes on top of it. Not a so shot. You don't want to be a Schedule C. You don't want to do that. But yeah, anyway, going back to that example. You know, if you made 300K in that S Corp and then you did a cost seg and it says 50,000 is your deduction, 
for depreciation that year, that 50,000 would get netted against all of your rental income, obviously. And then whatever's left over is deducted against your ordinary income. Oh, wow. You can really drive your taxes down legally by doing that. That's like a legit yeah. strategy. But it's, but it's like a catch 22 though, man. Like, like it's great. I think a, a dollar saved today is, is great and better. Like as a tax professional, um, that's my advice is to save the money in year one. Uh, but it catches up to you when you sell the property. You know, when you sell that property, you have to pay depreciation recapture, uh, which, you know, it, you know, so if you bought the property for 300 and then you, you depreciated it, right? Your basis gets lower and lower in the property each year. Now, when you sell that 300,000 for, you know, you sell for 500, you're paying the capital gains on the difference between the three and the five, which is right. That's great. That's at lower, that's at a lower uh, uh, percentage capital gains rates, but you got to pay back all the amounts you've depreciated up to the 300,000. Yeah. So you got to keep, basically, it sounds like if you want to be cost second and really doing it, you have to be buying properties consistently because it's almost like a little hamster wheel and, and it's hard to get off it because you really can't ever sell the property because you're basically fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you, a uh, couple of things. Yeah. If you want to always get that cool deduction every year, keep buying properties, obviously. Um, that'll just enhance that, that depreciation that you're getting. Um, now also, um, Oh yeah. So you were, what else was, uh, what were we saying? I, I you have to keep, thought. you have to keep buying the property. Like you have to keep buying properties oh. because you're, you're, you you're, you're, if you sell, you're screwed. Basically you have to then recapture all that. Right. That so, money. What, I, what else I was going to say? Yeah. You never want to sell um, because what will happen is hopefully, you know, you keep these properties long enough where you die <laughs> yeah. because now the people who um, inherit those properties get a stepped up basis um, in those properties. So what does that mean? You know, I, I've heard people talk about this. Can you explain this like in, in a very elementary way? Because this stepped up basis yeah. thing, I have no fucking clue what it is. Um, so, yeah, so I guess all right, we'll, we'll go this way. So stepped up basis essentially is you get a um, at the date of death and when you die and yeah. when your kids inherit that property, yeah. their basis in that property now is the fair market value at the date of death. Okay. So in that $300,000 rental that we just talked about, you know, you die 30 years from now, now it's worth a million bucks. You know, their basis is now a million bucks, you know, and um, you might've depreciated the hell out of this thing and you have no basis, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Your yeah. basis is essentially the land, which is maybe, <laughs> maybe it's like 60 grand or something like that. Yeah. 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 So, so you had a basis of 60 grand, which if you sell it, you're absolutely screwed because now you'll pay all this tax or you just keep it. And then when you die, your heirs get the stepped up basis which is uh, a million bucks. So that all, essentially that difference just gets wiped away. Gets wiped Interesting. Out. So you really, you can set your successors up in a, in a decent spot where they don't get just creamed with taxes basically. Yep. hundred percent. That's why people do 1031s because they might be like, you know what? I'm selling my section eight portfolio uh, into a better deal. You know, it's a commercial real estate, right? So they don't want to pay tax. So what they'll do is they'll 1031 it. So, you know, they'll, you know, I don't know if you know what a 1031 is, but essentially um, it allows you to defer that gain until ultimately you sell it outright or die. So you basically just keep taking the gain you would have actualized and roll it into the next deal. And it just kind of like gets momentum. Yes. And then at the end of the day, you could have a multi seven figure gain. But if you just keep doing that, you could croak and then, you know, it's stepped up basis. Yep. And then your heirs get the stepped up basis and you'd avoided that that you essentially have no basis in the property, which and that, that huge gain that you would have paid, uh, you essentially wiped it out because you know now you're dead. <laughs> <laughs>
there's a real estate game in a nutshell. Get rich, die, have your heirs not pay much taxes. Oh my God. I have a client, like billion dollar client, like my day job. That's all he does. 1031, 1031, 1031. Every year he's doing it. I mean, this guy, forget about it. You know, billions and billions of dollars of real estate, but um, that's the name of the game. You're using the bank's money to buy rental properties. Um, and <laughs> essentially that's what you're doing. You're coming up with like very little money. You're improving it. You're refinancing out. You're, you're essentially in the, in the deal with no money. That's what the real professionals do. And yeah. then don't ever sell them. And they just keep on exchanging them higher into bigger and better deals. And they don't pay any taxes. Yeah. Because, because think about it too. If you're buying like good deals at a discount or you're buying like value add commercial, you can always yep. increase that, but you can basically manipulate the value or get it at a discount like arbitrage. So like you said, you, you, you have no skin in the game because you're either finding the value or creating the value. And this is why most people in America who are ultra, ultra wealthy, like you said in the beginning of the show, are involved in real estate because the rules and regulations in real estate are like no other asset. At least to my knowledge, I could be off there, but I think most people would agree with that. Yeah. And that's what you hear. Like most people, what is it? Like 90% of millionaires are made or preserved in real estate because- yeah, the government wants you to have housing. That's the truth too. Like the reason they have all these laws is because they want people to own property so people can live and function in society. Yeah, that that's why. Yeah, that's essentially the the gist of it. Like you say, oh, why did all these real estate guys get all these great you know tax deductions? And it's like, you know, they do the same thing for oil and gas. They do the same thing for farming. Like these are industries, particularly real estate. It's a very big portion of our economy. You know, all the all the you know subsidiary like all the transactions that are done. There's a lot of jobs that are supported in that in that chain, right? So they want to they know this and they want to stimulate that. So they give a, a ton of incentives to people that are actually putting their skin in the game or investing or, or making things happen. And they're going to give great tax deductions and tax advantages and loopholes for these people because at the end of the day, it's all about you know keeping the economy going and keeping people employed and all that kind of stuff, uh, good stuff. I love it, man. This was a fun show. Mike, to keep the conversation going with you, how do people reach out to you if they want to connect? Uh, yeah, you know, you can follow me on Instagram, that flipping accountant, or you can, my, my cell phone's there. Um, you don't have any stalkers on in your listening podcast, do you? Not you that I know of. I'm not Joe Rogan. All right. <laughs> All right. My cell phone's 516-662-6132. So give me a call, text, whatever you want to do. Uh, I'm love, love to connect. Love it. Well, we got, we got, yeah, you got the good old Nassau County area code, man. Gotta love the 516. And what's the suffix 631? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Two area codes, a lot of people. Uh, it's funny. Every time I go to Long Island, I'm always like, if I didn't live in the Hudson Valley or like San Diego, I would probably live in Long Island because there's so much to do. It's so dense. The North Shore is my favorite personally, too. I think it's really nice up there. And uh, I got to say, man, Long Island is a great place to be at. I mean, I, I don't think you can find much better, in my opinion, than like Long Island, if you hit it in the right neighborhood. Uh, yeah, no, listen, I love it. I grew up here. So, I mean, I, I mean I'm mean, i kind of like, what, what do I know? I didn't really yeah. live anywhere yeah. else. <laughs> but it, it really is a nice place. Um, like I said, I'm on the North Shore. So I, I grew up around a lot of, you know, golf clubs and, you know, the country clubs and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm not that I was a member or anything like that. It's just you know, I caddied for a while and I just, something about it. I just like that. The picturesque, you know, it's beautiful, like the more shore stuff. It's really nice here in the fall. Like our falls here are beautiful. Um, and I love the, the Bay. Like I, I live in Oyster Bay. I think Oyster Bay, like the Bay particularly was rated like the number one Bay on like the mid Atlantic, like whatever that means. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know like who votes for that. I have no clue, 
but it's a really cool it's a cool spot i like where i am and uh, good place to raise a family good area like even like like jeremiah lives in like centerport i've been there that's like a nice area yeah really nice beautiful well anyone along or yeah what would you say i'm like 20 minutes from him uh huntington and centerport northport i'm like right there so you're like you're in you're in uh eastern nassau then huh is that Eastern? Uh, yeah, that's the thing. I, that's why, yeah, I love my location because I'm like, I'm not too close to the Queens and all that crap. And then I'm not like in Suffolk. I'm literally on the, like, I'm probably two miles from like the border of Nassau, Suffolk. So I'm maybe 10 minutes from Huntington, like the village of Huntington. Yeah. And then just, just past that is, like you said, Centerport where Jeremiah is. And, and then just past that is, uh, you know, I have family in Northport. I love Northport. It's another great little quaint town. Um, So that's my area. How far are you from the South Shore? Like, if you want to get down to like Jones Beach, are you is that a decent little ride? You got to cut through. Uh, you got to cut down across the island to go there. It it is. I mean, you know, I grew up in Bayville, which was like on the water, North Shore. Which so to get to the South Shore was like an hour and forty five minutes. Oh wow! But I'm I'm in a position where I'm just on the corner of essentially twenty five A and one hundred six. So anyone, anyway. So I'm like, on if I go on one hundred six, I go south. I'm five minutes to the LIE. So if I'm five minutes from the LIE, you can kind of get anywhere, you know, Northern yeah. State, LIE, it's all there. You know, the Wontaw, South Shore, it's like I can get down to, to, to like Long Beach in 35 to 40 minutes, which isn't bad coming from the North Shore. Uh, I can get to my rental property in 40 minutes, 45 Oh, that's, minutes. you can get out to, that's, if you can get out to uh, that, that out East, that's really good, man. Yeah. You're really not that far removed from, if you have to go out there for some reason, that's not like you're driving to you know, Montauk, if you're in, uh, what is that uh, Valley stream or whatever, like that would be a legit two and a half, three hour ride if in traffic Valley stream. Yeah. That's, that's like, that's secluded. Basically valley. Queens. That's like kind of like where Pinto lives like over there, right? Like the Mon lives out in Oceanside, that, that area, it's hard yeah. to get to. That's a hard spot to get to, uh, from where I am on the other side of the County, but, uh, I'm near like Hicksville, you know, Hicksville. It's like, kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, you're out there. Okay. Are you by Beth page kind of? Yes. I'm very close to best bit. All right. So you're over there. Yeah. So they're, they're more like, yeah, like almost they're right near Elmont and like, you know, it, it's, it's yeah. more kind of like Queens ish vibes around there, you know, cause it's right on the yes. border. You're more like, like Long Island where it's, it's like more suburban They're they're They, they got a great area. Like Michael's neighborhood is gorgeous, but like it, it is right by Queen. It's right by JFK. His house is probably 10 minutes from JFK. With no oh, oh, that's cool. I mean, that's cool being near that close to JFK. That, that's just, that's pretty nice. Um, is that where you guys fly yeah, out of usually? JFK? You don't go to Newark, New Jersey? Yeah, I, I try not. Oh, hell no. Hell no. <laughs> I, even even uh, even LaGuardia. I'm like, I won't I won't go there. <laughs> oh no, that's far. Well, because you got to go up 678, which is the that like when you no, like JFK and LaGuardia. It's that road to get from the two airports could be a log jam for hours. Yeah, uh, the Cross Island. Which yeah, you take to like whatever. Oh, it's horrible, whatever. dude. Oh, yeah. Bro. I just I just go LIE. I just go JFK LIE Cross Island. It's like right there on the belt. You, you know, yeah. You know. There you like, go. It's like forty minutes from my, my house. There you go. Well, if you wanted a Long Island geography bonus part of the podcast, you just got it. So everyone, I hope you enjoyed <laughs> the show. Mike is the man. He's become a good friend of mine, and I hope everyone got value today. If you did get value, if you could leave me a review and share the show, reach out to Mike. It'd be greatly appreciated. And uh, Mike, I'll talk to you later, bro. Hey, Greg, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, man.